0: We're in question three, which is what? Yeah, what does God reasonably expect from me? Yeah, what does reasonably say? Now, we've been discussing this, and I, I've got on your outline there, and if you want to do this, you can. You don't have to. You can go to this uh, site, Socrative.com. It's on your handout there. Go to the student log. You don't have to give any information. You know, you don't have to give your social security number, sign up for an account, or, or promise to uh, you know register for the National Clearinghouse Award. Uh, so just go in there, and then the room number is 50168. I've got a couple of questions there. This is all anonymous, by the way. I can't see who, who it is, and wouldn't, wouldn't need to unless you want to talk to me about it. Um, but there's a couple of questions there that I think, as we kind of wind this question up today, at least that's my goal, to wind this one up and then go to question four next week of what can I reasonably expect from God? What does He expect from me? But now we go to that fourth question: what What can I reasonably expect from God? What What is it there? So if you have a question or issue here that uh, relates to this, I'd encourage you to go ahead and do that. And so we've been uh, dealing with this here, this idea of what does God reasonably expect from me? That's on, on your outline. What does God reasonably expect <clears throat> from me? And we, we've talked about this. It doesn't take a lot of review, but, but the idea that in relationships or in jobs or in situations, there's always what we call reasonable expectations. You know, there's, a, there's what's, what, what my students uh, consider at school where I teach reasonable, what my school expects of me as an employee. So in any relationship, there are, if you will, some reasonable expectations. And we've looked at that. So if you want to, I've been trying. You can make a note here, if you will. Uh, If you want to go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. My Bible is 950. Uh, Or you can go on your tablet or your phone or whatever you got there. Or your uh, um, uh, abacus or whatever you're reading on. You wouldn't read that, would you? I haven't seen one of those in a while. Uh, Mark 4, uh, Mark 1, Mark 1, uh, and we said we're kind of basing this out of Jesus' first sermon. Uh, what does he expect of us? What does Jesus reasonably expect of us? And there in 1 14 and 15 says, Now, John, after he had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom or the rule, that's why I like to translate it, it's a little more active. The rule of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, those have been sort of the two features we said that we think that God reasonably expects, that repent means we change our mind about who's in charge, who is in control of our lives. Uh, I love what uh, Ryan Chappell said, that repentance has more to do with depending than doing. Repentance is really more about depending then I'm changing my mind about who I'm depending on, you know. <clears throat> that that That's a good idea there, that repentance is not just some negative thought or idea, but it is that we are uh, uh, depending. Then, then believe, put our trust in, reliance in another. Now, I sort of, for me at least, this is the way my mind works. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I said, this is what it <clears throat> means to me, or what I see it is. When I start depending on another and start trusting or believing in another for me it just speaks to that i'm embracing my creaturely status that i'm finally giving up on the idea that i'm god uh i i uh i said to a friend of mine one time you know I, I, we all struggle with that don't we think we're all the center of the universe uh we all struggle with that those are kind of notions um i said to a friend of mine one time how old were you when you gave up the illusion of control <laughs> remember that does anybody remember that time are you still there? Are you still working on it? You, you know, how? What was it? Was it that two-year-old that convinced you? Was it? Was it something in life that convinced you that control is an illusion? Because we're not God, and so, so the notion here of changing my mind, repenting, and then believing and trusting is this embracing my creaturely status. Well, I mean, that begs the question, so how do you do that, Cliff? How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. No. <laughs> how do you do that? How, how do you do that? And I said, at least in my thinking, I, I've got them there on your outline. And I think the way we do that is, one, we fulfill the idea where Jesus says, come to me, that, that when we finally begin to depend on someone else other than us, It's on your outline, right? See it there? It's got the words already in it. Come to me. That's the first one. What's the second one? Follow me. What's the third one? Abide in me. That's what we we uh, dealt with last week. And today I want to look at, and this is a, a not a word uh, specifically, but we're going to look at this idea here and this uh, fourth one that I'm suggesting. I'm just suggesting. This is how we embrace our creaturely status. This is how we repent and believe. That this idea here is this. Listen to me. <laughs> You ever say that to your kids? <laughs> you ever say, listen to me? If I'm going to embrace my creaturely status, <laughs> if I'm going to repent, if you will, and believe another, uh, th- there's this idea of listen to me. I, I was uh, re- reflecting on this the other day. You know, I, I found out a few years ago, uh, it was a kind of funny thing, that-, that I have some hearing loss. And it's in my left ear, and I'm certain that it's because of all those years of jogging and running and having, those earphones in my ears and listening to I probably shouldn't tell you this. I won't tell you I listened to it. <laughs> it wasn't Stephen Curtis Chapman, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a rock and roll guy. And uh, yeah. Uh, and, and over there, and I had some hearing loss, and I, and I discovered that, and there are certain frequencies and tones. I have trouble with. I, you know, I'm still uh, still wrestling with it. I mean, I have a real tough time on the frequency of hearing the lawnmower or weed eater. I can't hear those. And so it's so dangerous for me to mess with those things. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, And and for me to listen sometimes, it's really weird, and I probably ought to do something about it, and I will someday, you know, but right now it's real convenient when I'm really having problems sleeping or something's going on, I just lay on this ear, I go right to sleep, man. It's like sleeping pills. (laughs) Uh, But I have had this hearing loss, and so, you know, I, I said to a friend of mine one time, I said, don't sit on the left side of me in church. I can't hear you. I leaned over one time to a friend one time. So look, I'm not trying to kiss you, I'm trying to hear you. <laughs> okay? So what's interesting is I've noticed this because I can't, I really in church, especially when there's you know stuff going on, have a hard time hearing. It. And 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 Becky always sits to my right. <laughs> she wants me to hear her. <laughs> Quit talking. <laughs> Quit goofing around. So so you know, we all have probably some hearing loss. But think about this about listening. Do you remember your ability to hear when your baby was sick at night? Do you remember that when your baby was sick at night, you were like, you were like a mama and a papa cheetah that when you heard something, man, you got up and you were. You, you remember that 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 kind of heightened sense of hearing? Isn't it interesting? We we had the same eardrum, we got the same stuff going on, but 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 for some, well the reason of our child, we're we're concerned the baby's sick or the child is sick, and 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 we can. Uh, we can uh, uh, be really alert, uh, almost hyper, if you will. Uh, uh, you, you remember, or you probably did, uh, you know, you remember the ability to hear whenever they were announcing the final four in the football playoffs, right? Remember that? You're leaning, say, shut up, be quiet, be quiet. I mean, come on, you can hear what's going on here, right? But you're kind of leaning in, okay, who are the four teams? Alabama, you know, and you start, oh, where are we, right, right? Uh, I was doing the laundry that day. Uh, my, my team wasn't in that group. <laughs> yeah. I remember when my dad, uh, toward the end of his life, who died of pancreatic cancer, uh, one of the things I did, I went with him to every doctor's appointment he had because I'd read and, and heard that when people get serious diagnoses or they have stuff like that, they don't always hear real well. And so I just made it my role, and I could. I just made sure I went. I, I remember one of his last... Uh, appointments. Uh, we're talking to the doctor and the doctor said Mr. Sanders, this is about all we can do. Uh, if you were interested in a clinical trial, uh, we could include you in that. And, um, uh, you know, but there would be one group that got the medicine and the other one that didn't. And so, you know, you could be in that group and that would be your choice. And so, you know, I let my dad listen to this guy and we talked for a while and, and, uh, um, I, I remember leaving, and I would always ask my dad this. What did you hear him say? We're driving home. What did you hear And I, to my to my absolute surprise, my dad said this to me. Well, he said it's going to cost a lot of money to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I, were we in the same room? <laughs> you know what? Really, because my dad grew up in the Depression, uh, We think he started it, but uh, (laughs) my students think the depression is why we have medication now. So (laughs) another story, Uh, but he grew up in the depression and finances were always such a big deal for my dad. Everything was about money. I mean, he just was tough on him. I, I don't blame him for that, but I thought, how can you hear that? It just—it it astounded me. The doctor never mentioned money. He never mentioned cost. Uh, you know, if we're going to listen to Jesus, we might need to pay attention to the fact that sometimes we don't hear so well, and and sometimes uh, we need to pay a little more attention to how we're listening. And and you know in the scriptures, let me give you a few verses here, and we'll get right into this. In Matthew eleven fifteen and thirteen nine, Matthew eleven fifteen, and then in thirteen nine, Mark four nine, Mark four and Mark four twenty three, a uh, four twenty three, yeah, Mark four nine and four twenty three, and then in Luke eight jesus makes this uh, rather cryptic statement if anyone has ears let him hear you go what i mean people must have been looking at jesus like what you know because this idea of can we hear correctly do we hear correctly Or is our background and history and all the things that make us up who we are affect our hearing? I think it does. And I think that's why Jesus said, if you got ears, listen to me. Listen to what I say. Listen to what I tell you. If you're going to depend on me, if you're going to change your mind about who's in charge, and if you're going to begin to believe and trust in another, listen to me. And so I want to suggest that this is one of the of the big features or one of, the, one, of the, one of the significant issues that Jesus goes over. Can you imagine standing in a crowd like that and hearing a guy say, hey, now if you've got ears, you ought to listen to me. Uh, think so. You know, my dad made me pretty paranoid. He said, Cliff, you look like a car going down the street with both doors open. Your ears are so big. <laughs> and you wonder why I'm the way I am. <clears throat> I mean, everybody's got ears, and yet people don't listen, or they don't hear what Jesus said. So, what is it? On this last question, my, my judge, my my view is: I've kind of scoured this. You know, what is it that I need to listen to? What is it that Jesus talked about, discussed, went into some detail over times over to say? Cliff, you ought to listen. And, you know, it's interesting. I appreciate Doug praying. You know, well, the great thing about teaching is that I get to deal with this before you do. <laughs> I, I really, I, I, as I was praying yesterday and thinking, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I, I can talk about this, and I know this, but how are we doing? <laughs> how am I doing in this area? This isn't just an academic exercise. It really is, okay, how, how am I doing? Because I can talk, and I can speak, but am I listening to you? Am I making this a priority? So I want to ask us to consider a couple of things. So here they are. Number one, on Listen to Me, it's about obedience fueled by love. <clears throat> Jesus talked about this quite a bit. And it, and it, and it suggests uh, <clears throat> that, that there is something in his mind or in his understanding that I think, for me, over the years, I, I've needed to pay attention to. So go in your Bibles, if you will, find the table of contents. Find the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We're going to look here at the passage, John ten oh eight. Here we go. In the Gospel, go to chapter 14. It's a, it's a short verse, and it, but, it, but, it, but it speaks to a lot of, if you will, other verses and other ideas that, that Jesus seems to have this position about this is what I expect from you, Cliff. This is what I expect from you. And so we find in John 14 this section of the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry. In verse 15, Jesus, these words are recorded If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me. We we, we need to listen to that because there's a lot, in my judgment, of obedience at times that is fueled from obligation, it's fueled from fear. Sometimes, as we've said, sometimes obedience is fueled by the promise of reward. Well, if you'll do good, I'll reward you. And and those motives, we've discussed those before. I want to suggest to you have, at the root of them, a matter of selfishness. That, that That if I am obeying out of fear of punishment, that's because something's going to happen to me. If I'm going to obey out of the promise of reward, that's because something's going to happen to me. But this matter of love seems to be decentralizing, if you will, myself, to saying I'm doing this out of love and desire to please another. And I just want you to think about this. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. I just tell my students all the time, if if I'm having trouble with obedience... The answer isn't try harder or get scared of what's going to happen to you. The answer is, what am I loving here? What am I loving? What am I preferring here in my life? If, if I love him, Jesus says, you'll obey. I just want that to settle in you for a second. That is our obedience, is my obedience, is this what God expects of me? Is, in other words, this. This love-fueled obedience, not just simply that I've learned. I've asked myself on several occasions, uh, am I doing what I'm doing because I've just learned to do that? Am I just doing this because it's kind of my routine? Or is it out of love to God for his love to me? We're going to look at that here in a second. But notice Jesus said, if you love me, you will. Not, not you might. You will. You'll keep. The word "keep" there, tereo, is the idea of, of obey. You, you, you'll you'll obey my commandments. You'll you'll keep them. Tereo is the is the Greek term there. Does it does it just mean keep them like in a box or keep them in a list? But you'll obey them. And I think is in my own life at least. I um, I think a lot of the obedience that I. Worked at and and was taught about was either out of fear of punishment or out of the promise of reward. Anybody but me, that sound familiar? Instead of saying, wait a minute, Cliff, wait a minute, wait a minute, minute, the key here, what fuels obedience is love to God. And that desire to please, that that desire to honor out of a love for God. So I'm going to say, and I'm going to get to this here at the end, but if, our, if we're in trouble with obedience, we might ought to back up instead of trying to manage our behavior and ask, where is it in my life that I'm not experiencing the love of God? We're going to look at that. But you see, if we if, if we listen to Jesus, he tells us, this is how this works. This is what I expect he doesn't say just obey me and then you'll get to go to heaven and be worth it. You know. How I many I had that it was my religion. You know, well I don't really want to do this, but you know, it beats going to hell, you know. And so let's just go on. Yeah. Didn't Christ use fear as a motivation sometimes when he said like don't you know quit that or worse could happen to you or um better for you to enter <clears> the <throat> kingdom than you know, toothless and eyeless and all that. Yep, the 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 question for we're recording, right? Okay, yeah. The question is, did Jesus use fear? Um, I I guess, you know, and I'm not trying to dice and slice too tight here. Over the years, I've come to the conclusion that what Jesus is telling is the truth. Not a fear tactic. He's just saying, hey, you do this, this is what's going to happen. It isn't as much fear-driven as it is truth-driven. Um, that That's my judgment of that, that Jesus isn't trying to frighten people or scare them to death. He's just trying to say, hey, look, do, do you know this is what's going to happen if you do this? It's interesting because in most theological, uh, sec- or in, in books on theology, <clears throat> um, you know, the stuff nerds read, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what's interesting is all in almost all of them that the section in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the text about the wrath of God is always under the category love of God. That may seem weird to you, but it's in the, under the category of the love of God, of God saying, I don't want you to do this because here's the truth about this. I, I said before, and this whole thing about sin, this is deep theology, okay, so listen carefully. It's don't touch the hot stove. Right? Heavy, right? Four years of seminary for that. (laughs) I mean, this comes back to the understanding of the nature of God. You know, first question, there's a God. Second, what's this God like? This God loves us, cares about us. If there is any wrath, if there is any response to sin, it is because of love for the creature that's getting torn up by it. So I, I just... I see it more as a, for me, you know, nobody has to agree with me. Thoughts and opinions this teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across this community church. It's elders, our leadership. <clears throat> yeah, it's a truth matter. Hey, you know what? If you do this, this will happen. I'm not causing it to happen. This is the way the universe works. And if you want to get in that, you can do it. But man, I'm telling you, it's going to be bad. But it's not manipulative. It's not an attempt to frighten and scare and, and manipulate. It's saying, here's the truth. Does that make sense? I just, I just think we've kind of twisted some of this stuff up. And, you know, I'm going to scare the out of you. <laughs> I said that one time in a Church of God meeting. Wayne Bolenbacher was in there, and I said, the problem with you preachers you're trying to scare the hell out of everybody. <laughs> I'm in it literally. <laughs> Wayne looked at me like, I said, I can get out of here fast. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, when I read those verses, I just say, hey, Jesus is trying to tell people how the road runs here. And that this is not going to be good for you. So, so this notion, if you will, of love that fuels obedience. I mean, there's a great thing here when Jesus says, you will, if you love me. Now, I want to, you know, you know me, I, I'm going to get to this later, but you can't love God until you're convinced he loves you. Okay. John Wesley said it like this. True Christian living, whatever it is, you know, he, he sometimes uses the word holy. True holiness or Christian living is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you can't love God until you're convinced he loves you. That's just 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So the issue of obedience isn't, isn't an activity issue. The issue of obedience isn't a, a matter of action or, 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 or practices or duties. It's a love matter. And I think if we're going to, if we are going to know what God expects of us, he expects or he desires love-fueled obedience. I'll tell you why. I'm, I know I'm jumping around a little bit here. I, I, just too much stuff here. Go go in your Bibles, uh, you're in John, go left and go to Luke. Or if you're in your tablet or whatever, you can do whatever you want to. In Luke chapter 15, you know the great story of the prodigal son. <clears throat> I've always been, not a, not a lot of attention is given to this because most of the attention is given to the prodigal father, which I think this thing is Completely been misnamed. it should be the prodigal, like Tim Tim Keller said. It's the prodigal father. Prodigal means excessive, wasteful. That's the father. you know he's been wasteful and excessive with this young boy. but when the son, when the young son comes back and his older brother finds out about it it, it, it it really is just interesting that there is joy in heaven over the return of one sinner. When they come back, there's dancing and music, and there's joy. But in verse 28, it says, When the older brother came, the, 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 the emotion changes to what? He was what? Angry. See, it's interesting. Joy over one sinner comes to heaven. There's joy and dancing and celebration. We must make happy joy. Must make happy. I sound like I'm from, from Louisiana. We're going to make happy, Moshe. What do you think about that? <laughs> We're going to make happy. <laughs> I lived there too long. We're going to make happy. <laughs> I'm still mad at Gary Shaw for eating a Pepados and not telling me about it. No. <laughs> uh, but he answered and said, look, watch this now. This is what I'm talking about. Look, for so many years, I've been serving you. And I've never neglected one commandment of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat. Listen to that boy. I have served you. And I've never broken one commandment of years. How many of us have been like that? Well, why did he keep the commandment? He knew if his made his dad richer, he'd be richer. He, he knew that if he took care of the farm like that, everything would be better for him. Or he was afraid his dad might do something to him. Man, when I read that years ago, I said, okay, Cliff, tighten up. This has been your experience. You just obeyed because you are so strong-willed. I mean, some of my obedience was just strong-willed. I was telling somebody the other day, when I, about 38, something like that, I can't remember anymore. I uh, used to weigh 215 pounds. I was built for the wind. (laughs) Short and wide. And uh, I remember one day, I decided I was going to go on a diet. The Cliff Sanders diet, which I do not recommend, uh, I ate eight hundred calories a day and ran three miles. Uh, they tell me i wouldn 't watch it they said my, my, my friends tell me my complexion was gray <laughs> it had moved from pink to pale to gray uh, and I just did i in, you know I remember. Um, those days, but I just said to Becky, I said, I'm going to do this, and nobody's going to stop me. My doctor said I could have killed myself, but, you know, who cares? Uh, <clears throat> I apparently didn't. Um, but I remember uh, in that time, I uh, if it was eating 800 calories a day. I'd stand on the scales and scream at them, yell at them, you know. I'm a real balanced person. <laughs> and I remember running <clears> on <throat> a couple of days and uh, feeling bad, you know. And I'm glad nobody was following me, especially anybody in mental health, because I was yelling at my body and said this, You're going to obey me! (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Time after time after time. You're going to obey me. My body is going to obey me. That That worked out okay for that. But that strong will and that willfulness that got into my religious experience that said, I'll obey if it kills me. And the problem was, because I had a pretty strong will, I did do a lot of obedience like that. And it was really great because it made me arrogant and dismissive of others And your problem is you don't want it bad enough. It was a joy to be around. (laughs) And I was like this, son. I never disobeyed you. But my heart was so full of myself and so full of my person. I told you that uh, probably I'm getting off subject here, but what else is new? Um, I told you when I was in seminary, my second or third year, I can't remember, I was working at United Parcel Service, 2.30 in the morning, going to work, Arr, you know. I would just get moving freight, come to class, go to class all day, study, go to the library. Becky would go home at, from the University of Kentucky. I would put her out of the car, then I'd go run four miles, come back, study all night. It was a machine, you know. Remember one day in the car, because I always had my devotions. You know, you can't not do that, even if you're going to seminary. And I remember saying to God one day in the car, I don't think there's anybody in here but me. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, and I'm angry. I'm really, really angry. And I don't think there's anybody in here but me. I'd live the older brother. i Just have to tell you, this is just me. You know, not make a theology out of this. But I heard something. It wasn't nobody carbon in my car by myself. You know, I I heard this. (sighs) This is an exhale. (sighs) It's about time. (laughs) I think the Spirit of God said that to me. It's about time. See, I live my Christian life like that brother, by the grit and determination of my will. My dad told me one time, again, you'll hear get a little free, my dad told me, we were talking one time, and I said, Dad, what did you think about me as a kid? He said, well, I loved you, mostly. <laughs> he said, um, you were really my favorite. And I thought, wow, I would have hated to have been something different. But he told me, he said, I was always afraid you would be a criminal. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, Cliff, your strong will and your ability to lie to me, looking me in the face, scared me to death. And well, nice to hear that now, Dad, that, you know. But, but see, that, that was in the church, I looked pretty good among people. I was a leader. A lot of people respected me or wanted me to lead or do things because I seemed to have some coherence in my life. It wasn't love-fueled. It was willful. It was discipline. It was determination. Jesus says, no, no, the older brothers picture this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, uh, there's a great quote on your paper here by Thomas Chalmers. Um, and I highly recommend this book. <clears throat> um, I've recommended it several times, but it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's written back in the 1600s. It says, the heart cannot give up its object of love by mere resignation or being convinced that the object is wrong. There must be some alternative object that is so beautiful and so wonderful that the heart willingly gives up the old object for the new. That, that was me. I, I was convinced. See, I put in there information. I was convinced sin was wrong and you shouldn't do that or you're going to hell. But what happened and what changed in my life is whenever there was a new object now, the love of God, that I knew for me Changed everything. So it it can't be given up. Obedience cannot simply be this bare boned, bare knuckle fighting your way through it. It has to be fueled by love. Wesley, John Wesley used to say, and this is uh, found here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. I'll read it to you. When he says here in Galatians, you can turn to your right if you want to. Galatians, chapter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. that not mean anything. What is it? But faith working through love. Faith working through love. This, this is what Jesus expects from us. John Wesley commented on this when he, when he made this statement. He was afraid that at the Reformation the 16th century, when Martin Luther and everybody else is, is getting things kind of straightened back out, that you're made right with God by faith. He said he was afraid that, that they had elevated faith above love. Justified by faith, you know, the five solas, sola, fide, only by faith, only, only by faith, sola scriptura, only the scripture, sola, gloria del, only the glory of God. Uh, you know all the solas. You know what there isn't. Sola, love. Only, love. There, there's nothing in the Reformation that says that. That's fascinating to me. That sola scripture, I'm there. Only scripture. Sola Christos, I'm there with only Jesus. Sola, uh, sola fide, only, only faith. I'm there. Sola gloria, dore, deo gloria, only the glory of God. I'm there. What about love? Faith working through love. That's, see, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey. That's faith working through love. And so Wesley always commented, he said, I, you know, I love Luther and love those guys, but I think they went too far. Or maybe they didn't go far enough. But they didn't say <clears throat> that what matters here is faith working through love. I, you know, some of you have been to church today. I think that's some of what's been going on at Crossings. We have that impact report. What's happened here? Our faith working through love. And so <clears throat> Wesley and others would say that we got to listen to Jesus on this. Let me give you one more quote here by Floyd McClung. We'll move to this next section. <clears throat> I love this statement. <clears throat> that obedience is not an act of servitude. Obedience is an act of gratitude. Until we get this straight, until until we understand what does God reasonably expect from you, Cliff, he expects obedience. That's not an act of service. Okay, I guess I better do this. And I'm not saying there aren't times when we're just, you know, dancing down the road. But to say it's an act of gratitude on my part to obey. It's, It's because God has left me. So, how does that work? How does that work? Well, as I said to you before, 1 John 4, 19. Why is it we're able to love God? Because He first loved us. Now listen, I, I've said this a bunch of times, but let me say it again. If that doesn't get down in our soul, we keep obeying <clears throat> just out of duty, just out of we're convinced, instead of out of gratitude. A deep, abiding sense of gratitude. God, I want to obey you, not to cut some deal with you, not to just get something out of this, but to be able, if by God's grace, to be able to live a life that's fueled by love. For me, that's the growing edge the growing edge of my life, <clears throat> to be able to with God. Give me one more verse here real quick. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 13, you know the one we read at weddings, which has nothing to do with weddings. <laughs> you know? First Corinthians 13, you ought, you ought to go read that. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. that says, <clears throat> you know, if I have all these gifts <clears throat> and abilities, and it's not because of love, What's it worth? <clears throat> worth it. If I have the gift of tongues of men and angels and have not love, it is a noisy gong and a clanging. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all knowledge and have all faith so as to be able to move mountains and have not love, what is it worth? Nothing. Nothing. If I give my body to be burned and have not love, what? Nothing. See all the obedience there? See all the obedience there? Give your body to be burned. Move a mountain. Have all this faith. Speak in tongues. Whoa, whoa, look up. What's it worth without it being fueled by love? The Greek word there means uh, nothing. <laughs> Zero. It comes to naught or in vain. And so <clears throat> this idea of listen to Jesus, we said, listen, if you love me, Cliff, you'll be, I'm just kind of drive the, this nail into my brain and your brain. You're having trouble with obedience, it's a love issue. If I'm having trouble with obedience, it's a love issue. It's not a fear issue, it's not a reward issue, it's a love issue. And so, Jesus, we need to listen. So, so here's the application I want to ask you to consider. What if this week you insert your name in John 3, 16? Every day as you brush your teeth. I teach my students this. Give people an application that they know they either did it or didn't do it. So tomorrow morning, or maybe tonight, some of you brush your teeth twice, right? You're good people. That could be tonight, okay? You brush your teeth. I'm asking the Spirit of God to remind you. You say this. For God so loved your name that he gave his only begotten son that if would believe in him he would not perish but pass into eternal life that that <clears throat> that might do something for you if you would take the time to consciously begin the process of saying i can't begin with obedience i got to begin with Love that God loves me. Now, here's the freaky thing I've noticed over the years in ministry. Don't answer, you don't have to raise your hand. But most all of us have no problem believing God loves everybody else, right? This is too common to not be an issue. It's too common. If you know, four or five of us thought that, we just think we're just weird. But it, this is too common. It's ubiquitous. I, it, it's everywhere that we think, oh, well, sure, God loves everybody else. Why doesn't he love you? Because you've set up this thing in your mind. You need to start attacking that and addressing that and dealing with that to put your name in there. Or what about this? Or begin the devotional, the gift of God's love. It's on you, Virgin. <clears throat> it's on you, Virgin, by Michael uh, Youssef, a pastor in Atlanta. Begin that, <clears throat> that devotional. To to say, okay, I'm gonna i i to focus on this for the next thirty days, for my life. Listen to Jesus. Okay, here's the next thing we're gonna get out of here. The second thing we need to listen to is about kingdom uh, kingdom living first. This whole thing started like, what is what does God expect of me? What does God require of me? And, and uh, th- this idea of kingdom living first, uh, go to your table of contents or your Bible, wherever you are, go to Matthew chapter 6. This is a real familiar verse. Maybe many of you already know it and memorized it and uh, have, you know, have committed to memory. Matthew 6, we're going to begin at verse uh, 30, we're going to just, 33, and I'm going to work back for, backwards and forwards. 633. You know, uh, one, one of the great things about traveling uh, is uh, that you get to other cultures and you see how other people live. I'll never forget, we went to Israel. I had never been to a place before. When I ordered breakfast, I had salad. And I went, wow. A friend of mine said this. I thought this was the craziest thing I ever heard. A friend of mine said, You know, the funny thing about traveling overseas is all those foreigners. Wait a minute. You're the foreigner. <laughs> Right? I thought, uh, you need to rethink this. You got to rethink this. See, that's that ethnocentricity we have. Our world and our culture and our people are the best. Instead of, there are other peoples and other groups that live. And and Jesus, I think, uses some of this language when he says, Seek first the kingdom or the rule of God. Uh, I don't have much time because I've talked too much here, but... Got off track about. Listen here. When he says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness," and all these things will be added to you. Now, that's added is everything he's been talking about: first, food, clothing, you know, security, all those kind of things. And and it's interesting, and it comes back to your question here. E. Stanley Jones used to make this observation. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Don't, and everything will be subtracted. Not because God's trying to take it away from you. He's saying to you again, this is the way the world works. You can get in conflict with it if you want to. But if you don't seek the kingdom first, things will be taken away. Because you begin to put other things in that place. Seek the kingdom, the rule of God first, and, everything, and his righteousness. Now, this notion, let me tell you this, when Jesus said this, this was radical stuff. Because there was another kingdom that didn't take kindly to hearing about a kingdom, it's called Rome. And they would snuff out anything that they found out that was going to be in conflict with them. So when Jesus said, you need to seek the rule of God first, he's saying this. Now, listen to me carefully. This is, I want to be careful here. That means this rule is above every other rule. It's funny now we got a word here It's going to be said that that trumps that. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere with that. (laughs) I got all kinds of ideas. I want to come back to church. (laughs) I just left the elder board, so I'm a little free now. (laughs) Listen, when Jesus said, this kingdom living comes first. And his righteousness. Now, if you want to know what that is, I'm going to just suggest in the interest of time. The righteousness, or that word, the right way. Righteousness, deakasune. this big Greek word. It just means the right way. If you seek God and his right way, everything will be added. What if, and I think it is, the right way is what Jesus has been referring to on the Sermon on the Mount. If we're going to seek God's rule... And his righteousness or his rightness, we live our lives following Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before you get happy about that, start saying, yeah, there's some stuff in there. <clears throat> there are theological systems that say this. I've read them. There are theological systems that say this kind of living is so impossible, it can't happen until the millennium and Jesus sets up the kingdom. I cannot subscribe to that. Jesus doesn't seem to have a timer put on it. He's saying, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying this love your neighbor and love your enemy. How do we do that? This kingdom is fairly disruptive. Um, I tell my students this, I just suggest this to you, that this idea of, of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to ask you to consider it, is that this idea of the Sermon on the Mount is that this notion is this kingdom, this rule comes to push out every other kingdom and every other rule and says you can be good with life, but your ultimate loyalty is to the kingdom of God. That's a stretch. Because there are things in here we say, how how can I do that? I I don't know. There are issues in here that I can just tell you they humble me and make me stand before God and say, this this is bigger than me. This is bigger than accepting Jesus into your heart. I have a friend that I know of that said this. What if we said to people, now to be a Christian, before you can pray the prayer to be a Christian, and this is silly. I know it's not the way it be. But uh, you have to love your enemy. How many people sign up for that? I told them the other day, I'm having trouble with my neighbor. (laughs) Once I get that figured out, I'm going to the next level. (laughs) But I'm having trouble with that. But Jesus said, seek it first. So how do you do that? What's he saying here? He's saying that the ethic or the kingdom of God, the rule of God, comes first in my life. What does that look like? Well, it, it means the values that I hold have to be consistent with this kingdom. My time and my energy and life has to be consistent with this. I'll finish with this. There's a guy named Shane Claiborne. Maybe some of y'all heard of him. He's a radical. He, like, makes his own clothes. He worked at Willow Creek years ago. Came back, started a thing called The Simple Way. Lives in Philadelphia in the inner city and helps people with homes. He's an interesting guy. He's very smart and very radical. And he made this statement. (laughs) This maybe not, you know, maybe we don't use this in evangelism all the time. Shane said, before I met Jesus, my life was going along pretty good. (laughs) Then I met him. (laughs) Then I met him. he started messing with my life. How did I treat people of a different color? What did I think about people that were different than me? How did I approach slight from others? He just said in his book, he just said, he really messed my life up. In a good way. This idea of listening to Jesus, he said, I want you to seek this rule first. So here's what I ask you to do to think about this. When you and I have decisions to make, do we think about the rule of God first? Do do we think about, would this be consistent with the rule of God? Would Would this be something that would line me up in that way or be right with the way he wants me to live? Or, what if this week you did this? Here, here, and we're, I know I'm saying a lot of time. What if you took this week and read Matthew 5 through 7 from beginning to end? As you read, ask God to help you determine what one area of God's rule you need to pay attention to. I'm going to guess, if you're like me, there's like seven in there. And I'm saying, you know, this is where um, this kingdom comes. To who's king, who's ruling my life? I, I think we can be good citizens. I think we can good, be good people. But I think we, the world has a way of squeezing it into its mold. That's what it says in Romans 12.1. And how do we find a way to say kingdom first living? What does that look like? It won't look the same for everybody, but it means that loyalty let me tell you, we, I was going to finish with this. Um, whenever, whenever I pray for our leaders, and I do, and we pray here in the class, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not playing, praying for a political group like that. I say this, and I, and I, it comes back on me. I say, Lord, help every one of our leaders in America know that they will give an account for the way they've used power. Every one of them. That's what I pray for. I'm not praying politically. I'm not on a party line here. I'm saying that they would know that they're going to give an account for the way they are misused power in their life. How about praying that for you? How about you and I praying the power that we have or the influence that we have or the way that we live to say, God, one day we're going to give an account for our influence according to the kingdom of God. Marty has a statement one time he read that it's a poem. It says, Lord, I'd like to have $3 worth of God. Not enough to keep me awake at night to pray for my neighbor, but enough to help me go to sleep and feel good about how life is going. I'd I'd like to have $3 worth of God. Not, Not again to cause me to help those who are in poverty to dig out, but just $3 worth of God. Enough to make my rocking chair comfortable and enough to make me li- have a life of ease on my way to heaven. Just, just, just three dollars worth of God please. I, I don't know where you are but that worries me a little bit to say am I living kingdom living first? That's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything you need will be added That's the way the universe works. If we don't, we see the subtraction in life. Relationships, influence, all kinds of things. Let's pray. We're going to finish this here. Uh, You might say there are other things. I didn't get any real responses here, so that's okay. But we're going to move to question four next week. What can I expect from God? Lord Jesus... um, Take uh, these ideas and thoughts that are yours and use them. Take those thoughts and ideas that are mine and just end them. And whatever I've said that isn't consistent with you, may it cease and fall flat on the ground. And what is from you and your word and your understanding, have it to cause and take root in our lives. We know, Lord, that this uh, is, again, uh, a uh, matter of constant growth and living. It isn't an instantaneous thing that we get. So we pray you'll lead us and guide us and direct us. Keep us from extreme and harm and help us to walk in love and keeping the kingdom first in our life. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.